At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign overall. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. So who gets the credit? That's the question. Who gets the credit? We like that question, don't we? We do. Is it the owners of the Detroit Lions? Is it the coach of the Lions? Is it the players of the Lions? Or is it Detroit? Like, is it the support of, or the state of Michigan even, supporting the Lions, win or lose? Like, who gets the credit? You could keep going. You could say, is it Jordan? Or would Jordan have been anything without Pippen? So who gets the credit? Or Luca just dropped 70 again, you know? And so who gets the credit there? Was it Bilicek or was it... Was it Brady who should get the credit, or was it Steve Jobs or Bill Gates for the personal computer? Whatever your industry is, it doesn't even matter. Whatever your industry is, who's getting the credit in your industry? Who should get the credit? Or look at your own life, looking at your finances, looking at what your family's doing, look at what your family's achieved, looking at maybe even spiritual growth or fruit that's happened. Who gets the credit for what's going on? So this morning... We're continuing our sermon series in the book of Daniel. Let's take our Bibles and open up to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. And I want to catch you up to speed just in case you're joining us for the first time. Daniel is a, is a, is a Hebrew, right? He is part of the Jewish people. But he's living in exile at this time because Babylon had come along. They defeated Israel. They destroyed Jerusalem. I mean, like, they destroyed the wall. They wiped out the city. They destroyed the temple. And then they took the best and the brightest back to Babylon. And when they took them back to Babylon, they said, you're going to learn our language, and you're going to learn our culture, and you're going to learn our ways. You're going to learn to see the world through Babylonian eyes. And so through Daniel, we see an individual who lives in a culture that's very counter to what he believes to be correct. And yet we see how he navigates that, which brings us to our big idea, that you should humble yourself before the true king. You should humble yourself before the true king. Speaking of the king, Daniel had risen in influence and authority. He really has become, at this point, kind of like the right-hand man to the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And what we see is King Nebuchadnezzar struggling with this whole thought of the empire and the fact that he thought that he deserved all the credit. Nebuchadnezzar was the one saying, I am the one who's done all this. I deserve all the credit for what's been done. So the passage today really is a lot more about the king and a lot less about Daniel. Daniel's there. I mean, we're going to read about him, but really the focus is going to be in on the king. A little more background, the Babylonian empire at this point in history, was one of the greatest, if not the greatest empire that the world had ever seen. In fact, Isaiah says this. Isaiah says that Babylon was the glory of the kingdoms, a splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans. In the book of Revelation, John calls it Babylon the Great. 
As for King Nebuchadnezzar, one biblical historian called him one of the most successful kings known to all of history. Now, that kind of a statement probably makes you pause. That is big talk, right? Like one of the greatest kings in all of history. Who's the goat? You know, who's the greatest of all time? King Nebuchadnezzar. And you're like, I don't know about that. There's been some solid kings through the ages. What would make you call him the greatest? Well, for 40 years he reigned. Not only did he reign for 40 years, this is the king that went and he defeated the Assyrian Empire, like completely annihilated the Assyrian Empire. He defeated the Egyptians. He defeated Judah, right? There were so many things that he did that brought about power and authority to Babylon. But it wasn't just the power and authority. It wasn't just the military might. He then took all of the work, all the people that he gathered, and he created one of the seven ancient wonders of the world with the hanging gardens of Babylon. I mean, just picture, middle of the desert, right? We're talking like present-day Iraq. And so you have middle of the desert. He had these seven terraces with just these flourishing gardens pouring over where they would just write poetry and stories of the beauty and the wonder of these gardens. That in the middle of the desert, they could have a flourishing garden like this. Just incredible. But it wasn't just that. He also fortified the city. He didn't just beautify it. He fortified it. When I say he fortified it, I mean he took 164 million bricks. Let me say that number again. 164 million bricks to fortify that northern wall around Babylon. On each and every single brick, and we know this because we still have them like in the British Museum, uh, museums all over Europe. We still have them in Babylon. On each brick, it is stamped. It says, provided by King Nebuchadnezzar. How awesome is that? 164 million stamps on the bricks, imprints that said, provided by King Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar saying, I deserve the credit. I did it. Look how strong I'm making our city. Look how beautiful I'm making our city. Look what I've done. Look at me. So he may have been a powerful king, but man, he was a prideful king. And so what we're going to see today is how the Lord takes him from that place of pride to really a place of humility. He's getting ready to humble this king. And the way he's going to do that, first he's going to warn us of our pride. Look down at verse number four. Daniel chapter four, starting in verse four. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in. I told them the dream. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. So Nebuchadnezzar is the one telling the story. And he says, basically, I was doing great. I mean, I was hanging out in my palace. My feet were up. I was relaxed. Everything was great. And then I had a dream. And after that dream, man, I was afraid. And before you start to think, man, what kind of king is this? This is almost a picture of what we talked about just two weeks ago. This is a warrior king. I mean, he faced off against the Assyrians. He faced off against the Egyptians. He faced off against Judah. He's no coward. Like, don't look at him and hear what's going on right now and hear him being afraid and think, well, he is a, a coward of a man. He's no coward. But he has this dream, and he's like, no, I'm freaked out by this dream. This dream has scared me. 
I may be able to face armies and nations, but I, I'm afraid. And so same thing that he did a couple weeks ago. He brings in all his spiritual gurus. He brings them in. He brings in the advisors. He brings in the astrologers. He brings in the Chaldeans. He brings them all in, and he's like, I need you. But this time it's different because he's like, here's what I dream. Can you interpret it? And they're like, yeah, well, we can't. We don't got anything. So Daniel comes in. Verse 14, here's what happens. Verse 14, it says, he's talking about the dream. He says, this great tree grew up covering the whole world and reaching heaven. The tree also gave food and shade for all the animals. But the voice from heaven said, chop the tree down, but leave the stump. And put a band of iron and bronze around the stump. Verse 16, the tree says, let his mind be changed from a man's. And let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. So Daniel hears the dream. And he's just as scared as the king is. You ever, you ever been around someone and you know they have news for you, but they're acting like, yeah, I don't, I don't actually want to give you the news. You ever been around that? You know what I'm talking about? Like you're talking to someone and like you can tell they've got something they need to say. Like you know you know they've got something to say, but they're not saying it. You know that, right? And you're like, well, just, just spit it out. That's what happens. Just spit it out. Verse number 19, Belshazzar, which is the Babylonian name for Daniel. Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. He's saying, Daniel, you don't, you don't need to freak out, man. Just say what you got to say. And Daniel's like, no, I, I am a little freaked out over this one. Because he goes, king, the tree is, is you. The, the tree's you. And you're going you're gonna to lose your kingdom. And you're going to lose your mind. And you're going to end out up in the, in the fields like an animal, just eating grass like an animal. This is talking about you. And then he says in verse 27, Therefore, O king, break off your sins by practicing righteousness and break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. This hasn't happened yet, king. This hasn't happened, and so maybe it's not too late. Like, you need to change. You need to show some mercy to the oppressed because you haven't done that. Like, like, this is a warning to you. You need to change. So we're going to play a little game. We're going to try something, and um, it'll make sense as we go. What I want you to do is if you drive a leased, maybe not just a leased car, if you drive a car three years or newer, raise your hand. My car is three years or newer. Okay, so this game doesn't really work for you. So those of you with hands up, you need to watch everybody else's expression of how this game works, okay? Now that we know who you are, what you're going to do is you're just going to watch everybody else's expression. I don't want to go to the three-and-a-half-year-old car. I want to go with some of y'all have a used car. Not just used. No, it's used. It's got more than 100,000 miles on it. Raise your hand, more than 100,000-mile crew. All right, we got some people in the middle, but I want you to watch these people right now. Let's say... Because it was snowing. It was snowing just a second ago. I thought it was supposed to be 40 degrees all week long, but it was snowing. snowing. So let's say you finish up here and you go out to your car. And when you go out to your car, like some of you have a fob. Some of you don't know what that is because you're like, you mean a key? Like what? Anyway, so you take your key and you start your car and your car fires all out. She may be old, but she's going to start every time, right? So your car starts right up. We're not going to speak anything into the existence that like is not. Your car will start up after church. And the snow's coming down, but your dashboard lights up, and there's a light that comes on. One of those warning lights. 
those 100,000 mile people, they're like, well, yeah, those lights come on all the time, <laughs> right? So let's make this an all play. This will work better if it's an all play. Have you ever, have you ever had a light come on? Like I know what, what my tire sensor light, I know that one, I know my battery light. Have you ever had a light that you're like, I don't even know what that light is. Like what are you, yeah. And so you Google whatever. That's not even an important thing. That was just a bonus. So let's say the light comes on and you know, like there's a warning on your dashboard. How many of you, like you're going to try to by Tuesday or Wednesday, have your car to the dealer to get it serviced because you're like, I, the light shouldn't be on. Anyone can play. Raise your hand. Get my car in. Oh, that just told me so much about this group. Wow. I hope those watching online, I hope they're like, yeah. There's a warning. The warning lights are telling you take your car in so you're not on the side of the road, people. Like, that's what that warning lights are. But how many of you are like, I mean, I got to get an oil change within 3,000 miles. I'll just, just take it at the oil change. Raise your hands. Uh-huh. Just kick the can right down. Some of you are like, I'm just going to ignore the light. I saw that too. Some of you are like, take it in by Wednesday, take it in by oil change, and a whole bunch of you did not raise your hands. And so Nebuchadnezzar has the dashboard lights of his life going off right here. The dashboard lights of his life are going off. He's getting a warning. Nebuchadnezzar, you need to fix this, and you need to fix it now. Don't put this off. Don't wait you need to deal with this now. The buzzing is going off. The dinging is going off. You need to address this issue. I, I hope that you know when we come together on Sunday mornings, man, I, I do. I hope that there's something that you gain every Sunday, some insight, some wisdom you didn't have before. I hope that as we study the Word of God together, every single time you're like, I didn't catch that detail before. I do want us to be smarter in what the Bible says. But man, if we learn more about what the Bible says, but we never apply it to our lives, then we're missing the mark. So that's my hope. And if that's true, then it would be wrong for me not to ask, are there some dashboard lights of your life going off today? Are there some areas of your life that you're like, I, I know, like I know, I know the dashboard lights are going off and I know there's some stuff I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to forgive someone. I'm supposed to start giving. I'm supposed to start serving. I'm supposed to, I don't know what it is you're called to, but you know you're supposed to take a step of faith. You know, I think the issue is, I think sometimes we, I think sometimes we act like we have unlimited life. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think that's the real issue. I think we just act like, well, I'll deal with that in 10 years. Next oil change, I'll deal with that. Maybe in five years, I'll start to address that. At Christmas time, do you remember we did the envelope thing one Sunday? There were red envelopes and white envelopes. Remember that? The red ones was like, hey, it's going to cost something to go bless someone else. And the white ones was like an act of service. I heard a story. I'm not going to use names, but a story from an individual who took a white envelope. They said, I wanted a red one. White's all that was left because they took all the red ones. So I knew it was going to be something like roll the trash can up for the neighbor. And I opened mine up. And here's what she said. She said, the challenge on the white envelope was, you need to forgive someone in your life. Just so you know, with those envelopes, there was only one of each kind of envelope per service. So it's not like 30 envelopes said forgive someone. Nope, there was only one, that service, that said forgive someone. She said, I knew exactly who I was supposed to forgive. I'd just been putting it off. Don't, don't put it off. If there's warning lights of your life going off right now, don't be a, just a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. Be faithful. I don't know who told us that we get another decade of life. You're not promised tomorrow. 
You absolutely are not promised tomorrow. This is an opportunity today by God's grace. We hear the warnings of scripture to align our ways with his ways. This is a chance for us to be faithful and obedient and stepping out what the word of God has called us to. So I don't know why we do that, but man, we do. We so oftentimes, the warning lights will go off on our car, we're just gonna wait. We're gonna put it on, and I got it. Like I've got 50, like I keep hitting my button to make all the warning lights go off on my car. But that's a different story. But in my life, it should be different when it comes to the word of God, right? With the word of God, I should be very quick to bring my life into alignment with his ways. Because he's going to be a God who's gonna bring warning, but he's also gonna be a God who judges us for our sins. Look at verse 28. It says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and he said, is not this great Babylon, which I built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. So Nebuchadnezzar would be in that group that said, let's wait till the next oil change. Let's just kick the can down the road. Let's wait a little bit. Let's delay obedience, which is disobedience. He heard the warnings and here's what happens. A year later, He's walking on the roof of the palace, and he says, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty powers of royal residence for the glory of my majesty. Look at everything I've done. Man, I'm amazing. I, and right then it hit. I mean, it was that fast. While the word, Scripture says, while the words were still in his mouth, it hit him. He lost his kingdom just like that. He lost his mind just like that. He was removed and, and out in the fields eating grass like an ox, just like that. He heard the threats from God. He heard the promises from God, and he ignored them. Now, we all remember what it was to be a little bitty boy or a little bitty girl, right? We all remember. Now, some of you, some of you had parents who would give empty threats, and some of you had parents who did not understand what empty threat meant. Right? And what I mean by that is you would sit down at dinner and you're sitting at dinner and you didn't like your vegetables. And maybe you had a mom or dad who would say, you better, you better eat all those vegetables. You eat all those vegetables or you're never getting dessert as long as you live. And you're like, I will get dessert as long as I live. You don't mean that. And you just knew, right? How did you know? Your internal radar. Your internal radar. You just, like, you were like, you, you're, you're exaggerating. You don't mean that. Or they'd say, you're going to eat all those vegetables, if you don't, you are not ever getting up from that table. And you sat there thinking about it, going, I would look weird as a 70-year-old still sitting at the table because I didn't eat my vegetables. Like, that, that can't be true. Or they go to your bedroom, and maybe your room was a bit of a mess. Maybe you had some problems being tidy, and they would look, and they'd say, if you, if you don't clean up those toys right now, I'm going to get all your toys collected. I'm going to give it to some little boy or some little girl who actually cares about toys. Right? Anyone hear that growing up? And you're like, you're not going to take away all my toys. Come on. 
maybe one toy, but not all my toys, you know, you're like I can live without one toy. And so already you're negotiating in your brain. Now others, no, if they said you will sit at that table until that plate is cut, they weren't kidding, like you're going to sleep at the table. Like you might as well get ready. You're not moving from the table. If they said, I'm going to collect all your toys and give them away, yeah, the next day your toys are gone. You know, you, some of you, there's like no empty threats. How do you know the difference? I, I don't know, but we know, don't we? We know the difference between empty threat and real threat. Nebuchadnezzar's internal radar for internal threat, his radar was broken. His radar was so broken because it was almost like the warning from the dream, the warning from Daniel, it was almost like that didn't exist. So he kept going and went about his own way, doing his own thing. And I think the thing is, is sometimes we read the Bible and we look at someone like Nebuchadnezzar and we read and we're like, man, what a, what a dummy. Right? Am I the only one who thinks that? I'm like, you literally were warned by Daniel. Like, you should have known. Why, did, why, why? Why would you test God like that? Man, you're such a dummy. Like, why did you? Come on. You got to know better than that. God is a God who's going to keep his promises. He's going to follow through. Why would you test God in that? Why would you? But, but hold on. We got to look in the mirror, don't we? Because when you and I look in the mirror, we're going to see a very different picture. And I think sometimes what we see is we're way more like Nebuchadnezzar than we want to admit. We know that scripture says from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same that the name of the Lord should be praised. We know that scripture says that everything that has breath, praise the Lord, praise the Lord forever. This is the calling you and I have. We are made to praise him. I love something John Piper said. John Piper said, missions only exist because worship doesn't. And see, the thing is, you're gathered here on Sunday morning. I know you could be home getting the grill ready right now, getting ready for the game. I know you have other things you could be doing, and yet you're here saying this place is important. Coming together to worship the Lord is important. My question is, what about tomorrow? You know what I think happens? I think some, and I'm not in your house. I don't know. But sometimes I think what can happen for anyone is you wake up and you're like, man, it's Monday. And that game was crazy last night. And I'm just, I'm tired, I'm sore. I just want 10 more minutes of sleep. And you hit that snooze button, you sleep just a little bit more. And then you get up, you're hurrying around, and you look at your Bible, and you're like, I, I know I should spend some time in the Word. I'll try to get to it later. I'm just busy right now. I'm bu- Man, I'm so busy. Unlike all the unbusy Americans running around, I'm the busy one. Right, And so you get busy, and you have every intention of getting in your prayer closet and opening up your Bible, but you skip it. And then when it comes to saying, let me just stop, as Jesus taught me to pray by declaring how great the Lord is at this, I, I don't have time to declare how great he is right now. I'm busy. And when it comes time to saying, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, God, I want your will for my life. Instead of getting to that place, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. Instead of that place of worship and adoration from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, you're like, I, I just got to get to work right now. I got stuff to do. My mind is occupied. My heart is occupied. I don't have time for all that today. Sometimes I think we can go six days and all of a sudden Sunday hits. Let me tell you the difference. 
When Sunday hits and you come in and you are completely depleted and you're completely worn out, here's the difference that I'm going to see as your pastor. When we do open the word of God, you're not leaning forward with the Bible in your hands going, let's bring it. Come on now. I am ready. I am so ready for what the Lord's getting ready to do in my heart and my mind. I'm, let's, let's do this thing. Because that should be how we approach the word, shouldn't it? Like, Lord, I'm so hungry and ready for this. I am fired up for what you want to do in my life. And when it comes to that place of worship, there are some times that we come in, and man, the song that we start to sing that is the anthem for all of us as brothers and sisters joined together is the kind of song that, that you're almost just like, I have to whisper this one. You ever been there? That place of, I can't even say this out loud right now. I just, Lord, I have to whisper it to you. And that almost feels like a scream when I whisper because that's all I got in me right now. Like that's with what I'm saying that I know to be true and Lord, that's all I got. And sometimes you're like, I don't even have that. I need the Holy Spirit to pray on my behalf because I don't have it right now. And so you just stand there for a moment and just let it wash over you like a wave. You ever been there? Or the other times when you come in and the music starts, and you look around, and you're like, are you kidding me? We get to do this together. Hundreds of us join together to lift high the holy name of Jesus. Like, we're getting ready to knock the paint right off the walls from our voices exploding out right now. Because I can't hold this stuff in anymore. You've been there? That's what our praise should be. You see, I think the problem with King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't that he didn't understand what God was trying to tell him. It wasn't even that he didn't hear it. Like, he heard it. He understood, he was just complacent in it. That was the issue. I'm gonna wait till the next oil change. That was the issue. I'm gonna wait and do this in the next five years. That was the issue. I'll get to it in the summer. I'll get to it when I retire. I'll get to it sometime on a day not called today. I think that's what happens, and it happens in our lives all the time. Like if you know there's someone that you're supposed to forgive, why would you put it off past today? Pastor, you don't know what they said to me. It hurts. That's how forgiveness works. You don't need to forgive them if they didn't hurt you. How about when it comes to giving or serving or going? Like what is it when the dashboard of your life is lighting up? What is the Lord telling you? What is that step of faith? Because church, I want to challenge you. Do not today be complacent. Do not put it off. I don't know what he's calling you to, but I just want to encourage you to have the boldness to actually take the step to do the things that he's calling you to do. Because we are not promised tomorrow. Man, this is such an opportunity. If it is in the area of praise, let's praise him with everything we have. If it's a whisper, if it's a shout, we're going to praise him. If it's that step of obedience, then take that step of obedience. But my encouragement to you is don't you dare be complacent. Don't do it. It just makes us exactly like King Nebuchadnezzar. And this story is not going well for him right in the moment. It's a painful story because God is a God who judges. He's going to hold us accountable. So I, I don't know what that looks like for you. But I do want you to ask, where are the warning lights of life? What does that look like in my home? What's it look like in my church? What's it look like in my community, my workplace? What's it look like to the very ends of the earth? What does this look like to live a life that's not complacent? The final thing that we're going to look at is that he restores us by his grace. Look at verse 34. 
says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stand his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble our God is God, and we are not. And his kingdom reigns forever. Notice the change in Nebuchadnezzar's life. It's when he lifted his eyes to heaven. That's so opposite of what he's been his entire life. His entire life, he's been about me. Look what I've done. Look at the palaces I've built. Look at, look at how I've been victorious. Look at, look at these bricks that I've stamped with mine. A little bit of a narcissist, isn't he? Just a little bit. And it's easy to look at his life and say, Nebuchadnezzar's a narcissist. You know what we don't like? To look in the mirror and see that in ourselves. We don't like that very much, do we? And yet, if you ask me, I think that's one of the biggest challenges to faith. You see, if you just think of the gospel call, it's not a, let's not talk about the whole world. I just want to talk about us in this room, just right here, or those watching online. For me to say that God loves you, most in this room would be like, yeah, no, I buy that. You're watching online, I, I buy that. God loves me. I know God loves me. And if I said there, there's a problem, the problem is that you and I have sinned. I have not yet, and if you're here, we can talk after the service, but I've not yet met the person who has said, Billy, I just don't think I've ever sinned. I think I'm, I've been perfect my whole life. I haven't met that person. We all know that we have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We're aware of the sin in our lives. We're aware of that. And even this next part, the wages of sin is death. I don't have to convince most people that your sin separates you from God. You feel it. You know it. You know the reality of when you sin. There is a barrier between you and a holy God. You're aware of that. It's not just for now, though. It's, it's an eternal separation. This is where we turn into narcissists, right here. Here is where we become so much like the king. This is where everything changes because for so many, what you do is you say, and because I've sinned, I'm going to try harder. Man, I'm going I'm to do better. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to pray more. That's what I'm going to do. That prayer at 7 a.m., Billy, I'm going to be here at 7 a.m. You watch. I'm, I'm, I'm all over it. I'm going to serve more. Man, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start to serve because I know that sin thing is there. So I'm just going to serve. I'm going to try to earn my way. I'll, I'll hold the doors. I'll serve in coffee ministry. They need it because today they don't have cinnamon tea. We're out of cinnamon tea today, and they're going to need people to help explain that over there because people like Billy are stressed about no cinnamon tea today. And so there's that, you know, and, and maybe I can serve with kids or students. You know, I can. Do you see what we do? We become just like the king and saying, I 
I will do this. I will pray more. I will give more. I will serve more. I will try more. I, 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 I. The Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, you don't get a right standing with God because of I, because I'm doing anything. Instead, my encouragement is do the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar did, and that is lift up your eyes. When we lift up your eyes, you're going to see the cross, and the cross should take us to Romans 10, 9, and 10 that says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved, that you'll be made right with God, that you'll be rescued, that that very thing that you crave, that closing of the gap between you and holy God, that that happens because you confess Jesus as Lord, not not what you've done, but what Jesus did. And so I want to pray over two groups today. Group number one would be the group who's never confessed Jesus as Lord. Because my guess is that if you haven't, it's because you've been trying to do it on your own. You've been trying to figure it out. You've been trying to be spiritual enough, be holy enough, be churchy enough. You've been trying to be enough. But the thing is, you and I, before a holy and an awesome God, we're not, but Jesus is. We need covered by his grace, by his sacrifice on the cross, by his redemption. It's through Jesus. And so if you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, my hope is that today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the day that everything changes. The second group I want to pray for would be the group who would say, yeah, I've become pretty self-sufficient, self-reliant, and there's some warning lights going off in my life. It's like the dashboard, you know, bing, 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 it's making the noise. And, and I've known, like I've known I need to make a change. I've, I've just been waiting because it, it's going to be painful to make this change. It's scary to make this change. It's going to be hard to make this change. I don't, I don't really like change. My prayer for you is to not be complacent. Let today be the day that you bring your life into alignment with the Lord. Father, we're so grateful for today. And the recognition that today is a gift. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised five years. We're not promised a decade. But we have the gift of now. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for those who are listening and they just knew when I was talking about those who had not yet confessed you as Lord, they knew immediately I was talking to them. And it's almost like everything in their life was pushing them to right here, to right now, to this moment. And so I just pray in the holy of this moment that they are able to confess that I believe believe that Jesus came and he lived and he died and he lived again for the forgiveness of sins. I pray for them to be able to declare Jesus is Lord. And Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters that maybe there's some stuff in life and um, man, we're good at keeping stuff buried. We're good at acting like those dashboard lights aren't going off. But I pray for today to be a day that all of a sudden we 
our faithful and course correction towards you. Lord, we do thank you for your patience with us, for your continued grace in our lives. But don't just let us be hearers of the word, let us be doers of the word. And so for the one who needs to forgive, Lord, I pray that the hands open and the stones drop. For the one who needs to speak, Lord, I pray that there's no way they can stay silent. For the one who's been saying too much and realizes that their words have hurt others, Lord, we pray for repentant hearts. We pray for reconciliation. Lord, more than anything, we just pray you're glorified in our lives. That we continue to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. Lord, be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.